0: Well, we're going to continue our series on our core values today. Um, our core values are five things that kind of center us around all of our activity, all of our teaching, and all of our outreach. One, evangelism. We desire to give the good news to people who don't have it about who Jesus is, what he came to do, and how it benefits them. Two is the lordship of Christ, that once they accept the message of the gospel, that we want them to have the privilege of not just getting their name written in heaven and having a reservation in glory, but living well here. And the best way you can live well here is to obey him, to honor his rulership in your life, the lordship of Christ. Three, <clears throat> family. family—that once you become a part of his kingdom, you also become a part of his family. And today we're going to talk about that value, family today. And then there's discipleship, what it means to be taught and led and, and lead somebody into the deeper truths of God and greater obedience, and then leadership development, helping people come up into another level of understanding of what they are called to do by helping people now, groups of people, come into their purpose and destiny. And today we're going to talk about family. So turn with me over to the book of 2 Samuel. Book of 2 Samuel. <clears throat> look at chapter 6. Second Samuel, chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. The background is that David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem, at least trying to. The title of the message is Family and God's presence. Family and God's presence. Second Samuel chapter six, verse six. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah and God struck him down there. For his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. Verse 8. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And that place is now called Perez-Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of God come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Verse 11. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Lord, help us as we study today. There are three things about which I'd like to talk to you regarding this passage. One, that from which we refrain. Two, that upon which God remains. And three, as a result, that which we must retain. So that from which we refrain, upon what God remains, and that which we need to retain. Backdrop. The Ark of the Covenant has, has not been in the midst of God's people, his corporate people, for about a hundred years. It was lost by his people during the reign of Samuel um, and <clears throat> bordering on the time of Eli. Eli was a judge. Samuel was his successor. Eli at the time was not the best judge you could be. And before they had kings, Israel had judges. And Eli was, um, even though he was a competent leader, he wasn't a very good dad. And as a result of his lack of attendance for his children, who were now leading the people wrongly, they were in the house of God doing wrong things. And Eli did not discipline his sons. God's judgment not only came on on his sons, but upon him. The entire nation had departed from the ways of the Lord during this period. And because of their disobedience, God was allowing them to feel the oppression of another nation, the Philistines. The Philistines had come to make war against the Israelites. And the Israelites thought, well, even though we're disobeying, we've got God on our side. Even though we are going the wrong way intentionally, we are doing anything He wants us to do. We're still called by His name. We have a heritage. Our great, 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 great grandfather was Abraham. God's going to help us anyway. Please understand, God does not cosign your disobedience. Now, if He desires to have mercy on you, that's His decision. But don't you expect it. Not if you're going to continue to do wrong. If you repent, that's a different story. Repent means to change. Stop doing what you were doing and come come the other direction. But if you're going to continue to go the way you're going, don't just think that somehow you can say God help and He's going to show up and deliver you from that which you have gotten yourself into, because you have no desire to get out. Now the mercy is this: you may think, well, when is He going to be merciful to me? He's allowing you to breathe. You've forgotten how merciful He is. He allowed you to disobey and not judged you immediately. So, so don't think him to be unfair. He's amazing in his tolerance. The Israelites were disobeying, going the wrong way intentionally. And they thought that if they brought something to, to the party that would help them, that would be the, the take them over the hump moment, woo, there was no way they could use, lose to the Philistines. The Philistines were marshaled in, in battle array and then the Israelites thought I know to give us an edge we will bring the ark of the covenant out to battle with us they brought the ark out and they were summarily defeated and the ark was taken oh it was a bad day bad day Eli wound up dying as a result of hearing the news that the ark of the covenant had been taken his sons were destroyed and excuse me killed in the war. And the people of God for the first time since the Ark of the Covenant had been created under the authority of Moses had lost it. Now what was this Ark? It It was a box about two and a half feet long and about two feet high. And on the inside were the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, which was the stuff God provided by way of sustenance for the Israelites as they wandered throughout the wilderness because they, they couldn't plant. They were wanderers. Yet there were two million people. How were they going to eat? And so he provided this stuff. Every morning they would go out and it would just be on the ground before the, the sun came up. And they would gather it and then they'd grind it and they'd make flour into it and they make bread from it. Every day it just appeared. It didn't appear any place in the promised land. It didn't appear any place else for another group of people. It appeared where they were just where they were that was God's mercy to them and the Lord said I want you to take a jar of it I want you to put it in the ark of the covenant as a remembrance for how I provided for my people and then Aaron's rod that budded there were uh, there were times when the Israelites questioned whether Moses who was the undisputed leader of his people whether Moses and Aaron who and Aaron was, was Moses brother Whether they could be the tandem only they could hear from God and do God's will uh, in terms of leadership. Aaron was the high priest. Moses was the leader. And some leaders came and said, we hear from God just like y'all. I mean, ain't no difference. He speaks to me. And God said, really? Okay. Well, go go out and get a stick. A dead stick. Stick that has no life in it. Just a rod. Every one of you. All the 12 tribes of Israel. Go out and get one. And all the leaders went on and got it. They said, place it in my presence. For the tribe of Levi, Aaron represented, and he had his own rod. They all put the rods in the presence of God. The next morning, 11 rods were unchanged. One had leaved. If you don't know, it's an agrarian. It it got leaves on it. (laughs) Leaved. It had budded. It had blossomed and produced fruit. It was an almond on it overnight. And each rod had the name of the person that it represented so that everybody knew whose rod butted, whose rod didn't. And Aaron's rod budded. Supernatural. I have him. He is mine. That's the place where I place my anointing. And I want that to be a remembrance forever. It has nothing to do with great competency. It has nothing to do with great skill. It is whom I choose. All those things were in this box. And the box was made of acacia wood, common wood in the promised land, Israel, in that territory. And then it was overlaid with gold with two cherub, angelic beans on top that went like this and their wings t- uh, touched at the top and at the bottom where their feet were was called the mercy seat. This box called the Ark of the Covenant was in a place called the Holy of Holies, which was the inner sanctum of the temple and the sanctuary. The, the place of, of where God met with his people met with Moses, a high priest or whoever would be the leader of his people at the time it was a box that was not an idol it was a representation of God's presence that's all it was it was a reminder of how he wanted to present himself to his people and it was kind of pictorial in, shadowing way, in a shadowing way of who Jesus would be very, very natural in that he was all man, made of earth wood and yet overlaid with the divine nature gold represented the divine nature of God the box was, had, had gold all over it and indeed Jesus was the only best combination of God and man and on the inside were all the commandments the anointing and the provision of Almighty God this box was now taken and it was taken by the Philistines they held it for a little bit till they couldn't take it anymore they tried to figure out how in the world they could incorporate its power with their God's power. And they put, him, put the Ark of the Covenant in their God's temple named Dagon, right beside Dagon. Dagon was there, torso of a man, body, bottom part of a fish. And there was the Ark of the Covenant right next to it. They came in the next morning, Dagon had fallen over. Now God is merciful. See, he likes people you don't. I mean, the Israelites were thinking, well, if If the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines, surely God will kill them overnight. It's a subterfuge moment. He's trying to figure out how to judge them for killing us. No, you were judged by God through them. Your mess-ups were your own. But God loves everybody, and so surely he could have done something if he wanted to, but he chose not to because he cared about the Philistines. And he allowed them to understand who was God and who was not. So the next morning... Their God, Dagon, had fallen over. The Ark of the Covenant was fine. And the Philistines do what most people do when their God falls over. They try to help their God get back up. And by the way, if your God ever falls over, he ain't God. He's not God. Because God doesn't fall over. He makes no mistakes. He does not need your help. It is a sign. He is not me. God was merciful. He was trying to let him know I'm God, He's not. But they propped him back up. Wow. And and, and 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 hear me, I know you don't have a little statuette at home to which you light votive candles and offer your prayers. And we, we, we generally don't do that. But we do have a temptation to serve another God, and, and it's usually us. As evidenced by the fact that when God doesn't co-sign your plan for your life. See, you've got an idea about how things ought to go, do you not? You think God thinks that your plan should be a good idea. That I, 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 I'm headed this direction. Lord, it's not bad. It's not bad. It may not be great, but it's not bad. It may not be good, but it's not necessarily sin. Lord, would you please co- co-sign this for me? And you somehow think that your plan is God's plan, and it's not. And the fact that sometimes he causes your plan to fall over, Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? He divinely disappoints you. What do you do? Oh. <clears throat> uh, ah. Whoo, that was close. That was, we almost had a disaster. My life almost fell apart. I almost lost him, Lord. I almost lost him. My money, my health, Lord, everything. My my career, my my promotion, almost. Okay. He's back up. He's back up. We're good. We're good. Next morning, Dagon's falling over, head cut off, hands cut off. You didn't get the message. We we didn't get the message. I'm not going to endorse your life plan. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm not just an add-on to everything else you think is a good idea. I'm God all by myself, and I don't need your help. But we do much like what the Philistines did. They tried to fix Dagon again. And the Lord, when when they wouldn't hear through these two signs... He brought a few little physical discomforts to them to such an extent that they said, you know what, this isn't working out like we planned. We thought this God was going to add the power he had to our God and that we would be the masters of the universe. This God vanquished Egypt, the most powerful nation on the earth. This God opened up red seas whereby two million people, flocks and herds walked over on dry ground. Surely, if, if this God was added to the power of our God, we would rule the world. It didn't work out that way. And so, rather than them repenting and coming along with God's plan, they send God away. Please don't send God away simply because you're disappointed. I can't tell you how disappointed I've been in my life. And, and we're not talking about things of... of going the wrong direction, that we're sinful. We're talking about what I thought was a good idea. And he just lovingly said, uh-uh, and made every plan I had fall over. And I'm so happy I didn't send him away. What I did is realize I wasn't thinking quite right. I didn't pray quite right. I thought I was, but it wasn't right because I fell over. I tripped. I tripped. I made a mistake. Something didn't work out like I... Lord, please fix my brain. Fix my meditator. Fix what's wrong on the inside of me that doesn't think like you. I didn't send him away because I was mad that he didn't co-sign my life. They sent him away. They sent him away on a cart drawn by two oxen. And and these, these oxen just like homing pigeons, ran straight to Israel, straight to Israel. And they wound up in in a place called Beth Shemesh. And, And when the ark wound up at Beth Shemesh, the people of Beth Shemesh didn't have enough good sense to know what not to do. Now, it's not that they didn't know what they shouldn't do. They just have, they didn't have enough good sense. You know what to do. You're just lacking sense. You know you shouldn't sleep with that person. You, you just ain't got no good sense. You're making some really bad decisions. You know you ought not get drunk. It's not like you're, uh, you, you don't have knowledge. You're just stupid. You're making dumb decisions. Dumb decisions. These people knew. They were, they were Israelites. They knew the Ark of the Covenant was this holy thing that you ought not treat irreverently. And and they they just decided, let's see what's on the inside. (laughs) Let's see what's on the inside. Ain't nobody been looking. You know, the priests get to look on there, but we ain't. We like to see what's on the inside. Mm -hmm. They open it up. Bunch of folk die. Mm -hmm. And rather than them repenting, they say, let's send God on away. So they send the ark away again. And it winds up. In kiriath Jerem, which happens to be the home of a man named Abinadab, who we believe was a Levite, and he knew how to care for the ark. It stays there for a period of probably, we believe, 90 years, 85 to 90 years. So from the period of Eli to the time of David, the passage we just read about bringing the ark in, just about 100 years. Samuel has reigned for 40 years or so. Saul, the first king, has reigned for 40 years. David is at the beginning of his reign. It's been a while since anybody has seen the ark. In fact, probably nobody in this generation has in Israel. It's been at the house of Abinadab. And David says, something's wrong. We need the ark of God to be in the presence of his people, not just be in a man's house. And so he makes preparation to bring the ark home. Now, it's never been in Jerusalem. It used to be in Shiloh. But during this war of which I spoke earlier, Shiloh was destroyed. And so there was no place to put the ark. And so that's why I did not go back there. It's never been in Jerusalem because David established Jerusalem as his capital city when he became king. So it's never been there. He's saying, I need this this, this presence of God, this article with me in the holy city I've established for his name. And so he makes preparation. Problem is, he didn't read his Bible. And as a result of not reading his Bible, he didn't realize how the ark was to be transported. All he did was go on how it came to him. How it came to Israel. How did? Well, they, these oxen just showed up in cart and ark on cart. So they use the same kind of thing that they had been, uh, at least historically, had been used. And so they put the ark on a cart and they draw it with oxen. And big parade. Everybody's happy. G-g- praise and worship is going on. David's a, song, a, a minstrel and song, a songster. No, that's not even a word, but it'll work. He's a guy who knows how to make music, and he brings everybody, and everybody's happy, 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 happy. And then, and then all of a sudden, the oxen are going, and, and the cart hits a bump in the road. And then the Ark of the Covenant begins to get unsettled and might fall off. Uzzah, who has grown up in Abinadab's house because he's Abinadab's son, he knows what, not, what, what should not be done with the Ark. He understands how the Ark ought to be treated. He knows what shouldn't be done. Reaches out to try to steady the ark. And as a result of reaching out, knowing what he should not do, he dies. Now, ch- church is generally a good place to be, except when somebody dies in church on a Sunday morning. It's one of those things that when somebody dies in church on a Sunday morning, everybody else says, um, don't go to that church. Because like you walk in, but you don't go to, you'll go out. You don't leave. You go straight to heaven. (laughs) Don't go to that church. Don't go to that church. It's a bad day when somebody dies in church. David is just depressed. Lord, I tried to do something good. What? You killed the guy? Why? I don't. And so he stops the parade and he drops the ark off at the nearest home. A guy named Obed-Edom. Now, I imagine Obed-Edom was a part of the parade. His sons were happy. <laughs> and, and, and all of a sudden, somebody dies, and they say, we're going to drop it in your house. <laughs> Did I do something wrong? I thought you liked me. I paid my taxes. Why are you going to put it in my house? Scared to death, probably. Scared to death. But they treat it with reverence. And all of a sudden, after three months, David realizes, he gets word back that Obed, Obed-Eden's house is blessed. Yes, sir. His businesses are blessed. His marriage is blessed. His kids are blessed. Everything is blessed. David's saying, well, wait a minute. I thought God was mad at us. Maybe it's not him. Maybe it's us. <laughs> we never think it's us. We always think it's him. Why doesn't God like me? Why isn't he treating me fair? You're an idiot, that's why. (laughs) You've gone the wrong way for a long time. And you wound up in a dead end and you're blaming him for getting there. You haven't made good decisions. You haven't worshipped well. You don't read your Bible every day. You don't know what you ought to pray. And so you pray whatever you think you should pray. And it's always wrong. And you wonder why he did not answer your prayers. And then you blame him. When it's been all you all along, all Brett all along. David says it's us, maybe, so he begins to read his Bible. He says, oops, we weren't supposed to bring the ark in on a cart. We were supposed to bring it on the shoulders of the priests. Ah, oh, shoot, it's my fault, Uzadai. Die. All right, we're going to fix this. On the four corners at the top of the ark were rings into which a pole was to be inserted on both sides that extended anywhere from three to six feet, whatever the length was needed for a priest to carry. And on each of the four corners, a priest was to hold the pole like this and the ark was to be suspended in the middle of them. And they were to walk the presence of God. Though he residually abides in systems and buildings like this, It's intended to be carried by people. So you're asking for God to show up in your workplace, in your neighborhood. He's waiting for you to carry him there. He's waiting for you to carry him there. He's waiting for you to bring him in, to usher him into into the presence of wherever you need to be. Yet we trust for Bible studies to do it. And we trust for Sunday morning at 1045 to do it. And we trust for all these systems we set up, and and, and listen—it's it's all good. But there's nothing holy about Sunday morning at ten forty-five. If I don't read my Bible and pray, if I don't study, if I don't spend time with my God, if my consecration is poor, if I'm not loving Him like I should, if my worship team isn't doing the same, if all of us don't come in with some degree of responsibility and say, Lord. We have, to, we have to create the environment where you want to live and abide. Then it's going to be just a normal 1045 going into Walmart. You may be bettered for the, for the, the sale. You may be able to find something that you need. But will the presence of God be here? We value that more than any kind of thing you bring away by way of information we want you to experience him here obed-edom is there and and it, the ark of the covenant and his house is blessed and as we talk about family today god wants to bless your household but he doesn't just want to bless your household with stuff he wants to bless your household with his presence his presence. But you've got to bring him in. You have to create the environment where he is welcome. Not just to visit, not take a vacation, but to abide and live. When somebody walks in your house, they ought to feel the presence of God. Not just the nice moralistic compass that is faced due north. They ought to feel the presence of God. And how how do we create the environment that Obed-Edom had? One, We refrained from stuff. This was a household that realized God wants to be here for a minute. This is his serendipitous placement. And so we don't want to do anything that would offend him. You refrain from overt sin. You stop going the wrong way because your sin separates you from him. Now, please understand that God is not a prude. He sees everybody's sin all the time, every day. It pains him and hurts him. But he is not trying to distance himself from you because of your sin. He's not. Yes, your sin separates you from him. But it's not because he's running in the opposite direction. Because you are. You remember when the first sin happened with Adam and Eve? They ate from the tree from which they should not have eaten. God came down. What was he doing? Looking for him. Your sin attracts God to you. Why? Because he knows you need fixing. He's trying to find you to help you and restore you. Whenever you blow it, he's trying to run after you. He came in the garden and said, Adam, where are you? Uh, I was hiding and afraid. What separated it? What separated him and Eve from, from the father? Adam's sin. And his running. When you go the, the wrong way on the regular. The presence of God is chasing you. But you are neglecting it. Yeah. I'm begging you turn. Repent. Don't just ask for forgiveness. And think that that is a band-aid that's going to fix your life. It is a part of it. Please ask for forgiveness. Please. But forgiveness is a part of the recipe to get you right. It is not the complete recipe. Repentance is that which puts you in a position to receive the forgiveness God wants to give. Repentance is that which says, I'm going this way and I choose not to do it anymore. I turn 180 and I'm going to go this way. And as a result, now you are in a position to receive that from which you were running away regularly, going in the opposite direction. When you choose to refrain from wrongdoing, you open up the environment whereby God says, I'm coming to you. I've been chasing you. Gentlemen, please create this kind of environment in your home. An inviting opportunity for God to come and abide and live. Let your house, let it be said it's like Obed-Edom's. Where the presence of God was so great that it blessed everything you did. You want your children to be right? We We work hard at second generation stuff. Whether it's fifth grade on down to newborn or whether it's junior high and senior high or whether it's college. We don't let kids go. We figure out how to reach them. We have an active college ministry. We have a great youth ministry. We have a great kids ministry. We got 100, and, 100 or so kids on Sunday night that come to worship over George Mason University from, from uh, uh, Northern Virginia Community College as well. These, and you talk about some fired up human beings. That's the best meeting we do all week. You all getting crumbs here. (laughs) I'm glad you're enjoying your crumbs. But that's amazing what's happening on Sunday night. And then our youth uh, during this service and and during Wednesday night. And our children, we believe in supporting the next generation. But listen to me. As much as we do, it's only about an hour a week. Maybe two. You got them for the other 166. Are they abiding in the presence of God in your house? Can you say like Obed-Edom and have it be the testimony that everybody else says? Dude, there's something happening in Obed's house. Mm-hmm. Edom's house? Oh, my goodness. Something's going on there. Can that be said about your house? His family was blessed. You refrain from verse sin. Secondly, you, you, you refrain from an extension from stretching your commitment to do things that may not be wrong, but not best. You stretch your liberties because you can. Paul said, I'm not going to eat or drink anything that causes my brother to stumble. said it twice, once to the Romans and once to the Corinthians. If it causes my brother issues with respect to commitment to Christ and, and genuine sincerity and devotion, I won't eat it or drink it. I don't, I don't have any problem with alcohol. None. No, nothing, nothing with respect to, this is wrong, don't drink. In fact, my wife and I have talked about maybe we can enjoy some bubbly someday. <laughs> but we haven't figured out a, a good reason to do it. We just haven't figured out a good reason to do it. I got a lot of reasons why not to do it. One of them is my dad was an alcoholic. And I know enough because I, I study stuff outside of my Bible, although I read my Bible every day. Every day. I study a lot of stuff outside my Bible. And, and I studied biology because I was a biology major. And I studied epigenetics, which is an emerging science that helps people understand how things are passed down from one generation to another. It is amazing how, the, how science is, is confirming the bible and generational stuff that's passed down that doesn't have anything to do with just your 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 tendency toward cancer or your tendency to have the facial features of your parents it has everything to do with about your behavior it's so great I, i could go on for the next hour about it but when it comes to that you can either turn a gene on or turn a gene off it's not a mutation it's an adaptation and i realize if i drink there may be something on the inside of me that turns off turns on that i might have a difficult time turning off and I, I don't see why in the world I want to turn it on. It doesn't taste that good. Yeah. I can get a sprite. <laughs> <laughs> I can get a sprite. I mean, that's, that's not bad tasting. <laughs> and plus, if, if I'm at a dinner party, if I'm, you know, I'm, and, and I'm imbibing, in, in, in I'm not quite sure what I'm feeling when I need to minister. What, what that is is feeling warm <laughs> on the inside of me. I've got to be careful about how I present myself and what I say. I've got to be on. All the time. Now you may say, well, that's to you with your pastor thing. I mean, that's, yeah, but what's your thing? And then there's that thing of what do people think people like me ought to do? What do they think I shouldn't do? Now I can't live my life by everybody's whims. But there are some things that I've chosen not to extend myself with respect to liberties because I don't want anybody to have to hurdle over me to get to Jesus. Right. Yeah. And so if they see me out at the restaurant with a little gin and tonic, I'm thinking, you know. I'm thinking, I'm enjoying myself, but they're thinking they don't want to say nothing. Oh, look at the pastor. Mm, 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 mm. Uh I ain't going to say nothing, but look at the pastor. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. right. Now, why do I want them to have to even answer the question? And so I I haven't extended my privilege. I've hemmed myself in. And I find the joy of the Lord in that. Uzzah extended himself beyond what he what was supposed to. And it cost him. It always costs you when you extend yourself beyond the boundaries of what God allows for you. It always costs you and it costs other people too. Secondly, it says in the house of Obed-Edom that God remained. His presence won. His intention is to abide with mankind, not to visit mankind. He loves us like that. We were never intended to be apart from him. We were always a, intended to be in communion with him in that unbroken. We've gotten so used to subnormal that we think it's the way it ought to be. Please, you're going to have to do the unusual to allow the presence of God to abide in your family, but it's going to benefit you and it will benefit your children. All my kids love God. None of them are perfect, not even close. But they all love God. I I got a great relationship with my bride of 30 years, and she loves me, which is always a miracle for a man when a woman still loves him after 30 years. That's only God. That's only God. There are so many things that are attributable to his presence, not my skill. I know I was not the greatest dad. The only way my kids could be supported the way they are and come out the way they are as if God helped me. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't participate in his grace and try to become the best dad I could possibly be to those people. I did that every day of my life, trying to become better, praying and fasting, asking God to take that out of me, which I judgmentally thought was not in them when I disciplined them for their wrongdoing, yet that wrongdoing was stuff that came from me and I didn't understand that it was me that was wrong on the inside of them. How do you think they got it? Do do you forget who you were? Did you forget? Did you forget who you were, parent? All of a sudden, when you see that the reason your child is acting the way they are is because it's you. It's you and them. Don't blame Adam, it's it's you. It's you, it's you, it's you. Then you begin to say, God, help me because I need to be more merciful to them. Without compromising truth, I need to be more merciful because they got it honestly. That rebellion is what I did to my parents. That attitude is what I had with my parents, the sucking the teeth, the rolling the eyes, the wagging the neck. That's what I did to mom. That's me. I'm reaping what I sowed. It's my fault. It will help you. The presence of God will help you become a better version of you. Yeah. What God thought about when He thought about creating you, so you can be better to your children, so they can have a better, a better platform upon which they can be successful. And when they go out from the house, my my, my Cynthia and I are, are um, our youngest is sixteen, our oldest is twenty nine. We we now have two out of the house. <laughs> I'm not one of those parents who are lamenting the idea of empty nesting where my children will be gone get out of my house get out of my house I did my job you do yours now when they leave yes. what do they take what do they take David was dead his son Solomon was reigning Solomon blew it real bad so bad that God said I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take ten, 10 tribes from you 10 tribes you won't have leadership over anymore that's how bad you are but because of your daddy Solomon, Solomon's daddy was David. Because of your daddy, I won't do it in your generation. Is there anything about your life that allows your children to experience mercy because you've lived so well? When they're out of your home, what do they take with you? What do they take with them? Do they take the covenant of blessing that came as a result of you being right? You want the presence of God in your life, in your family? You want it to abide with them even after they're gone? I beg you, live right. Thirdly, what do you retain? It says that Abraham was chosen by God. I, I have chosen him that he might teach and train his children in Genesis 18. That he might teach and train his children in justice and righteousness. And that he might keep the way of the Lord. There's something you ought to retain, mom and dad. There's a way that God wants to move. And remember, Abraham did not have a Bible. He had no manual. There was nothing written. The only thing he had was the way in which God treated him. The merciful way that God called him. The way the Lord blessed him. And he said, I've got to keep this way so I can let my children inherit. And the presence of God abided, abode with Abraham. You have to hold on to some stuff. It's not enough. For you to sit in his presence in this meeting and think, that fills my cup for the rest of the week. No. You have to figure out how in the world are you going to keep what you heard. What are you going to do with the information you got this morning, tomorrow morning, on Tuesday morning? How are you going to retain that which God wants you to have? Why? Because it's going to help you in your family. If if Abraham had not kept the way of the Lord, he wouldn't have any information to give his kids. He wouldn't have any experiences to give his kids. You've got to hold on to something so that they can have more of an inheritance than money. Mm -hmm. They will spend that and it will be gone. There is something of covenant blessing that every household ought to give their children that never leaves. And indeed, they can pass on to their kids. An inheritance that is eternal. Keep something. Make sure you create an environment where God can abide, not just visit. And refrain from doing evil. If You do that, you'll build a great family. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and grace. Help us. As parents... Children, uncles, aunts, folks who will someday get married and have a family, to desire your presence more than any other, your blessing on our lives.